the diamond. I Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These are a pair of size 11 black leather brogues. They have sort of whole pattern around the front of the shoe and they have laces and a ready brown sort of inside. These shoes belong to Lou. This is his story. My name is Lou Taylor and I live in Southampton. I'm the director of Black History Month South uh, CIC in Southampton. So I was born in Hackney in London, grew up in Caterham, a little place called Caterham in Surrey. I'm black British, grew up in a white foster family. So I sort of had a foot in both camps, if you see what I mean. I left the UK when I was 10 to go to Nigeria and I did all my secondary education over there. And I was fortunate enough to go to a, a private school over there, which was, it was based on the British public school system, but they had refined it to an extraordinary level. So I found myself almost living the life of um, uh, a boarding school British young man. You know, it was a very strange existence. In the middle of Lagos, a school where you weren't allowed to speak anything other than English, so colonialism had landed firmly in that country. It was one of those situations where you'd have... Um, if, if something went wrong in the classroom, the whole class could be caned. It was an interesting place, but when you've got a boarding school with, like, um, a whole bunch of lads in it, the whole point of being in that school was to beat the system. That's what you all do, all day, every day. It's beating the system. And so it's a constant battle between you, the prefects, and the staff. Every year, without fail, what would be considered now year 10, which was back then, I suppose, year four, there would be, at the end of term, a traditional riot. You knew when it was this was going to happen. The teachers were all ready for it. They were, they're at strategic points. The prefects were at strategic points. Everybody's got it right but it always happened without fail. It was great. It, it, was, it was a good time. You knew the punishments were coming, man. <laughs> but you did it. So that actually made it worse because you knew you were going to get severely punished for this, so you go all out. Nobody got injured. Nobody got hurt. But stuff got damaged back every year. They had to replace furniture. Uh, so I left there. I finished uh, my O-levels, came back here, did my A-levels, um, went to college, did all kinds of bits and pieces, and then ended up as a professional, as a musician, really. I, I'd always wanted to be a musician from the age of about five. And I got to the point where my parents said I had to do my further education, which I did. I completed that and then decided that I was going to be a pro musician, and I started, started auditioning. I always wanted to be a bass player from the age of about 12, after watching fellow Cootie and his... Uh, his band and um, got to 19 no 21 sorry I got to 21 and I'd finished my further education and then decided right auditions and I auditioned all over the place and finally got a job oddly in Southampton that's my first pro job there's an odd thing though when you achieve a goal so quickly in, and early in your life there is a danger of thinking what do I do next because all I wanted to do was be a professional musician. And there I was, smack bang, front and centre. So then you're looking at the advancement. Where can I go from here? Where can I go from here? And um, I stayed with that band for a while. I moved into doing a lot of radio jingles, things like that. For um, Down here at a the time, there was a radio station called 
Ocean Sound, so I did a bunch of jingles for them. Then I moved into, I uh, did a lot of solo gigs, so I was playing solo for a while. Uh, then I got signed, I got signed to RM RCA. Then I started doing sessions for a guy called Ray Hedges, and Ray Hedges is a mover and shaker in the music industry. He was back, he still is actually. And I just spent a while with him, doing stuff with him for Bewitched. I then moved into Chicane, worked for them for a little, tiny, tiny little while. It wasn't a big deal, but it was good fun. I've always been in music, all kinds, all over the place. Southampton for me was like a little oasis. It felt like a, a city, with a town feel to it. It didn't have that big city feel because when you, know, you live in London, well, everywhere outside of London is nowhere. It's a really welcoming place. It's a very easy place to live. You get to know a lot of people really quickly. It's less frantic. People are easy to get on with. They, they do accept you very easily. And I found it a, a great place to live. And then I you know, stuck my family down here, bought a house down here and I've been here ever since. When you come from music, as a black musician, everybody accepts you because that's where they expect you to be. When I moved into business and I started a business in, in, the, in the city, I noticed there was an active campaign against me. And I noticed other little things that would happen, which would be I would go to a meeting with a white colleague and they walk to him and say, hello, Mr. Taylor, straight away. So the, automatic assumption was if he was white he must be in charge and so I realized that there was there was an issue I started doing free adverts for Black History Month getting involved steadily because I thought the only way you're going to educate people is for them to understand that our history is collective we are all linked there's no separation you know black history white history it's the same history but Black History Month is a great time to actually just lift that awareness and just create that conversation with little, I suppose, nuggets of information which have been overlooked. My involvement in Black History Month came through that. At the time, the organisers were a chap called Don John and Jay Andy Shah. They wanted to step down and asked me if I'd take over. And I said, yeah, OK, it was a big job. It was a huge job, but I, I took over the running of the, uh, of the organisation. What we do every year, we have, a, 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 I call it a celebration. There's a whole bunch of events. This year has been somewhat interrupted because of COVID. Um, we produce our magazine. We have online events coming up this year, but normally we have um, physical events, art exhibitions, music events, cookouts, things like that. Anything that anything to draw people in, plays, all kinds of that. And we get really good support from the city. And so when I took over, I decided that it needed slightly more structure. So um, we formed it into a what's called a community interest company, um, which is now running, drawing funding from various companies in the city. Black Lives Matters has come about this year, which has heightened everybody's awareness. Sometimes for the good, sometimes not for not so good. There are some negatives that have come out of that. Unfortunately, I think the whole movement has been somewhat hijacked. But for Black History Month, it gives us a greater platform to move forward from. 30 years into Black History Month in this country, do I think the conversation is just getting started? Yes. I think the advent of Black Lives Matters has opened that conversation. Sadly, I'm still having the same conversations I was having 25 years ago. It is that depressing. And the thing that I notice, especially with the advent of Black Lives Matters, it's been misinterpreted. Black Lives Matters has been interpreted now as only Black Lives Matter. That's what people are hearing. Whereas it's actually 
Black Lives Matters as well. And that's really the, the essential difference. So there's a lot of defence and people are coming up with All Lives Matter. But it has opened the gates for black history and the decolonization of um, the education curriculum. Because once you have that conversation around black history and you start understanding how linked we are and how effectively the colonialism led to a form of structural racism which is still in place. It's not individuals. No one is saying that person there, that person there is racist. No, it's not about the individual. It's about how these things are set up to create those divisions which people live by. And it's, it's understanding that those things are the ones, things we're trying to undo and bring to the fore. It's nothing to do with statues. It's got nothing to do with rural Britannia. It's more to do with the way things are structured within the country. It's also a class system. You've got a class thing going on as well. There's a certain level of class that you can't, you can't even buy your way into because you're either born into it or you're not. And that is how the UK is balanced. And there is a hierarchy within the country which it doesn't matter how rich you are, you can become the wealthiest person in the world. You will not break through into aristocracy, ever. Looking at all those things, trying to bring the, the conversation around black history and Black Lives Matters and uh, racism into that arena is difficult, but we're getting there. Lou's story was produced by Simon Clark. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next. I'm going to just kind of